Hello again and welcome to Board Cards, the number one board prep podcast on the internet. As always, I'm your host, Everett Scott. And before we kick it off with the last in our three-part series on behavioral medicine, I have some unfortunate news to share with y'all. Mallory Shank, she will no longer be co-hosting the podcast. I don't want to go into specifics, but just know that I hate her guts and she's dead to us. May we never see her like again. Moving on, first card. A healthy 10-year-old boy presents with complete loss of vision following the diagnosis of a brain tumor in his younger sibling. Recent workup includes unremarkable ophthalmology consult, including dilated exam, a normal CBC, ESR, chemistries, and lipid profile, and lastly, unremarkable neuroimaging studies. What is the likely cause of the boy's vision loss? The answer is conversion disorder. A conversion disorder is a psychosomatic disorder involving a loss of motor or sensory function without a medical cause. A complete history and physical with laboratory workup will be essential to rule out an organic cause. With a psychosomatic disorder, the child is relieved of psychological stress by converting it into a physical symptom often called or often called primary gain. Secondary gain refers to the added benefits of having the physical symptoms, like the attention the child receives at a time when his parents have been preoccupied with his sibling. For a suspected psychosomatic disorder, refer to a mental health specialist for psychological testing. Treatment includes cognitive behavioral therapies and medication if there are comorbidities. Interesting. Next card. What mental health disorder features a physical complaint that has no medical origin? Well, if you were paying attention to the last card, it's a psychosomatic disorder. Psychosomatic disorders involve medical complaints without a medical basis. They are thought to arise from an impaired adaptation to stress. Symptoms can include headaches, stomach aches, limb pains, and neurologic complaints. Diagnosis requires a thorough history and a physical with an associated laboratory studies to rule out organic causes. Refer to a mental health professional for psychological testing. Psychosomatic disorders are treated with cognitive behavioral therapy and medications if comorbidities exist. Conversion disorder is a type of psychosomatic disorder in which there is a loss of voluntary motor or sensory function with no medical cause. Pseudoschizers or blindness are examples of conversion disorder. Here's your next one. What class of drugs is most widely used in the management of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD? Answer, stimulants, like methamphetamate and dextroamphetamines. The treatment of ADHD is multidisciplinary, involving behavior modification like positive reinforcement, extinction techniques, and educational interventions like star sticker charts, frequent communication between parent-teachers and preferential seatings, and lastly, medication. The most common first-line medication are stimulants like methylphenamine dates and dextroamphetamines. They increase the release and inhibit the reuptake of dopamine and neuroferephrine. 
methylphetamidates is available in several different preparations. Amphetamine and dextroamphetamine salts is another frequently prescribed stimulant. Most stimulants are available in short acting around four hours and extend release about six to 10 hours preparation. Atomoxetine and guanfacine and clindine are second line options. Side effects include weight loss, headaches, hypertension, abdominal pain, and insomnia. Stimulants can unmask tics, but do not cause them. Frequent follow-ups uh, is necessary to monitor blood pressure, weight, and eating sleeping difficulties. All right, card four. Following her eight-year-old's normal wellness exam, a recently divorced mother tells you that her daughter has had a recent decline in schoolwork, she frequently complains of stomach aches, and she blames herself for her parents' separation. What recommendation would you make regarding this child's behavioral changes? Well, you would want to refer them to a qualified mental health professional. Divorce is common in the U.S. Maladjustment disorders often develop from inconsistent parenting styles, change in financial situation, and parental conflict. Be alert for signs of distress in pediatric patients like depression, withdrawal, somatic complaints, and self-blame. As adults, these individuals are at risk for self-esteem and relationship issues. Common mental health issues that children of divorced parents experience in early and mid-adulthood are depression and anxiety. Early referral to psychiatrists and psychotherapists can be helpful. Next card. What stages, or sorry, what are the stages of grief that adolescents experience from the death of a close family member? Answer, there's five of them. First stage is denial, then anger, bargaining, depression, and finally, acceptance. The death of a close family member is one of the most stressful events that a child can experience. Young children can have eating, sleeping, speech, and bowel bladder disturbances. School-aged children may experience depression, behavioral issues, and obsession with their own health. Adolescents, like adults, experience the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. The primary care physician can play a significant role by coordinating referrals to counselors and bereavement support groups for both the patient and family members as needed. It is important to identify patients whose grief reactions are outside normal parameters and who need more specialized treatment. Studies have shown that the bereaved children have a higher incidence of adult psychiatric disorders compared to the general population. Next question. What is the maximum amount of screen time currently recommended for a child three years of age? Answer is about one hour per day. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends just one hour per day of high quality programming for children between the ages of two and five. The AAP recommends no screen time for children younger than 18 months of age. For children between 18 and 24 months of age, watch digital media with them because they learn from watching and talking with you. For children over 6 years of age, place consistent limits on the time spent using the media and the types of media. Make sure the media does not take the place of adequate sleep. 
between 8 and 12 hours per day, depending on age. Physical activity, which is about one hour, and other behaviors essential to health. Excessive media use has been linked to behavior problems, obesity, aggression, sleep issues, and poor school performance. Television should not be allowed in a child's room, nor should internet access. The AAP recommends that preteens not have access to social media. Next one. What is the recommended age for allowing access to social networking sites? Hmm. So yeah, when can you let your kids use Instagram? Answer, very vague, but it's teen years. The AAP recommends that preteens not have access to social networks. If teens wish to join social networks, encourage parents to friend them, as well as thoroughly research the site. Internet use should be restricted to a common area, not behind closed doors. Encourage parents to request passwords for all devices, as well as to enforce media-free times, like meals and family gatherings. Encourage parents to engage their children in ongoing discussions of cyberbullying, sexting, family values, and the internet at large. Alright, next one. What emotion is commonly expressed in adopted children? Answer is grief. Even in ideal situations, adopted children often grieve the loss of their biological family. It is helpful for adoptive parents to have ongoing discussions with the child about adoption, answering the child's questions as they arise with the age-appropriate responses. The AAP recommends that pediatric health care professionals serve their adopted patients as advocates and liaisons to support groups, resources, and social services. Pediatricians are advised to model positive language that reflects the permanency about children and their adoptive families. For instance, adoptive families are real families. Siblings who join a family through adoption are their real siblings. Alright, really, you know, just kind of cruising through these, huh? Next card. How soon after foster care placement is an initial health screening needed? Answer is within 72 hours. Children in foster care have a high incidence of chronic medical, emotional, and developmental issues. Many of these children have been the victims of abuse and or neglect. Physical and mental health are further impacted by separation from biological families and the uncertainty of foster care. The initial health screening is required to address any immediate physical or mental issues. A more comprehensive exam is performed within the first month of placement to form a plan for each physical, mental, and developmental uh, issue. A follow-up visit occurs one to two months later. Subsequently, monthly visits are scheduled until about six months of age, every three months between six and 24 months of age, and then every six months between two and 20 year, 21 years of age. Birth parents still have legal guardianship, Foster parents cannot consent to immunizations or procedures. Consent must be obtained from the biological parents or social services as needed. I'm going to go over those schedules one more time just because those felt like those might be important. So again, for children in foster care, their screenings um, are you have your first one within 72 hours. 
then you have a follow-up visit um, that occurs one to two months later and then you're gonna have monthly visits until they're six months of age and then every three months when they're between six and 24 months and then every uh, visit every six months between two and 21 years of age hopefully that was a little bit clearer if not I would review that because I feel like those again those might be important next card you are asked to develop a substance abuse program for high school students what is the most frequently abused substance in this target group. So it's asking you, what do high schoolers like to do? Answer is alcohol. Most teenagers have tried alcohol by the time they are seniors in high school. The mean age for the first use of alcohol is 12.6 years of age. Most underage drinking is done in a form of binge drinking. Binge drinking refers to the consumption of more than four drinks within a two hour period. Girls and boys drink alcohol at nearly the same rates. Impaired judgment, abnormal behaviors, and altered level of consciousness can be seen with elevated blood alcohol levels. The diagnosis of acute alcohol intoxication can be made with serum or breath alcohol levels. All right, next question. An adolescent presents for counseling because of drug dependence. What are some of the most common risk factors associated with the development of substance abuse? Well, answer is household drug use, especially by parents, peer group drug use, untreated ADHD, depression, anxiety disorder, impulse control problems, and mood disorders. There's a whole bunch there, folks. The consequences of substance abuse can be devastating frequently leading to accidents, injuries, and death. Associated high-risk sexual behaviors can result in unwanted pregnancies and STIs. Continued abuse of substances can result in fetal anomalies. Substance abuse is linked to delinquency and crime. Long-term abuse has been associated with neuropsychiatric impairment. Next card, which is hopefully a little more clearer. A teenager presents with a chronic cough. He smokes one to two packs of cigarettes per day and has been smoking for the past three years. If you advised him to stop smoking abruptly on his own, what symptoms would you expect? So quitting cold turkey, what can you expect? Well, the answer is dysphoria, sleep disturbance, irritability, anxiety, restlessness, and increased appetite. Abrupt discontinuance of cigarette smoking is an established smoker is called nicotine withdrawal syndrome. Use nicotine replacement like a nicotine patch or gum and behavior counseling to manage withdrawal symptoms. Your next card reads, a 16 year old presents to the emergency department after a night of heavy drinking. What symptoms would you expect in acute alcohol intoxication? There's a few, so hopefully you get at least one of these. The answer are lower levels of impaired judgment, short-term memory loss, and increased levels of lethargy and disorientation, and in extreme levels, death. Alcohol use remains alarmingly high among adolescents. The mean age for alcohol use 
uh, for the first use is 12.6 years of age. Girls and boys drink alcohol at nearly the same rates. Alcohol acts as a central nervous system depressant. At extreme doses, it acts as a respiratory depressant. In this scenario, be alert to atypical presentations related to co-ingestion of other illicit drugs and to confounding diagnosis like hand trauma in teens whose altered level of consciousness is out of proportion to their blood alcohol levels. That being said, blood alcohol levels of more than 500 milligrams per deciliter are usually fatal. Next card. A teenager presents to the emergency department with an acute traumatic fracture. She is given a one-week supply of pain medication. She then returns to the emergency department later that night with slow, sonorous respirations, lethargy, and confusion. On physical examination, she is hypothermic and bradycardic with pinpoint pupils and decreased bowel sounds. After initial management based on airway breathing and circulation, what is the most appropriate drug to administer to this patient? So she was given pain medication, then she comes back later that night with sonorous respiration, lethargy, confusion, and now she's hypothermic and bradycardic with pinpoint pupils. Based on the ABCs, what is the most appropriate drug to administer? The answer is naloxone. This patient illustrates the classic toxidrome for acute opioid intoxication. Naloxone is an opioid antagonist and is the preferred treatment for an acute overdose. Naloxone effects last between 20 and 90 minutes. Readministration of naloxone is sometimes required. Because opioids can cause respiratory depression and apnea, your initial assessment focuses on the ABCs, which are airway, breathing, and circulation. You should be prepared to maintain airway and support ventilation. Oh man, only four cards left. Here's your next one. An adolescent presents to the emergency department after binging on methamphetamines. Body temperature and systemic blood pressure are elevated. He also has an irregular heart rate. How would you manage this patient? Well, you would use cooling blankets as well as lorazepam or diazepam. Methamphetamines, like ice and meth, can be administered by mouth through inhalation, which is like smoking, through mucous membranes, or by injection. Methamphetamine is a psychostimulant that promotes the release and inhibits the reuptake of monoamine neurotransmitters. Effects can be dose-related. Tachycardia and dysrhythmias can be seen at lower doses, while higher doses are associated with hyperexia, ventricular irritability, uh, elevated blood pressure, and seizures. Dry mouth leading to tooth decay, also known as meth mouth, can occur. Behavioral findings include agitation and delusional behaviors. These can be treated with haloperidol or dropoperidol. Psychological cravings, mood swings, paranoia, and disorganized thinking may develop as soon as two days after cessation. However, they may be delayed up to two weeks after the last use. Cravings considerably drops after week two, but persists at a lower level for up to five weeks. All right, next card. 
A teenager is brought to the emergency department by police because of erratic and aggressive behavior. His friends told police that he tried some LSD. Is this behavior consistent with LSD use? Answer is yeah. Hallucinogens are a category of substances that alter sensory perception, thought, and emotion. Although some can be snorted, smoked, or injected, most are typically ingested orally. Symptoms of acute intoxication include hallucinations, out-of-body experiences, delusions, disorientation, and disinhibition. LSD is a very potent hallucinogen. Altered sensory perception and rapid emotional shifts can occur. Individuals can become delusional, paranoid, and psychotic. Late complications include flashbacks. Alright, getting real close to the end. Your card reads, A healthy teen presents to the emergency department following a syncopal episode after huffing room deodorizer. The question, what will you look for in your evaluation of this patient? You look for hypotension, cutaneous flushing followed by vasoconstriction, a tachycardia ECG changes like inverted T waves and ST depression. Huffing refers to the inhalation of fumes or vapors from a closed container, such as a paper bag, balloon, or soda can. Inhalants are abused for their psychoactive properties. Use of inhalants can be associated with hypotension, cutaneous flushing followed by vasoconstriction, dizziness and syncope, and tachycardia ECG changes like inverted T waves and ST depression. All right, last card, make it count. Reports of anabolic steroid abuse in high school athletes are brought to the attention of the team physician. You are asked to counsel athletes about the adverse effects of adrogenic steroids. What adverse effects would you highlight for this target audience? Well, you would highlight acne, hirsutism, gynecomastia, testicular atrophy, oppression, mania, and rage. Andro androgenic steroids are used by athletes to increase muscle mass and strength. However, they come at a wide range of adverse effects. Some of these particular effects include premature closure of the growth plates resulting in shorter than expected height, cardiac liver and kidney toxicities, cardiac arrhythmias and cardiomyopathy, aggressive behaviors, and lastly, gynecomastia. Gyn gynecomastia. Gynecomastia. All right, folks. Hopefully you stuck through it. I hope you enjoyed this three-part series on behavioral medicine. Next time, we'll kick it off with... Uh, it'll be a surprise. See you guys next time.